so we just laid the kids down to sleep so Nino and Wes can drink red wine and talk about Pearl Jam 20. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking a little low in the voice tonight because aside from trying to bring you amazing entertainment to take you out of your daily lives for an hour, we also have small children and we're trying to put them to bed in the side room and not be too terribly loud because we just can't delay the awesomeness anymore. This is our 20th episode. And honestly, bro, I uh, when we started this, it was just at the very start of pandemic lockdown. Needed something to do, kill the time, hang out. So I never uh, would have thought we would have gone really a full year. You know, we are That's at right. yeah. the end of December right now. And uh, we are going to take this through and uh, bring it. We want to go at least one more year, man. We got I mean, as long as Pearl Jam's going, I don't see any reason for us not to keep going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And first off, nice to see you. And like you said, this is this is kind of a great time in life. You know, the Christmas thing is coming around and Mm -hmm. work, work starts to slow down. And your intro almost sounded like. A little twas the night before Christmas. Well, <laughs> did that's you, exactly did, where I was starting yeah. with. It's exactly what it was. Yeah. Did you have a little night twas the night before Christmas with your little boy today? Is he? Uh, no, we are. Night? You know, he, we're getting a little to the age uh, where it's kind of gently moving away from Santa Claus into the story of Saint Nick, and you know, we definitely would have. Uh, I would have loved to do one more year taking him to Santa. I asked him, I was like, hey, man, you want to go? And he's like, no, I think uh, I think Santa knows what I want. So in his own way, I think that's his dad telling, <laughs> telling, telling us that, um, you know, he sees through that we are we are aware of of uh, different ways to celebrate the uh, holidays, which is fine. Yeah, way off topic here, but you know Bellevue, where not too far for you, has this mm-hmm. cool thing called Snowflake Lane, where they do like they do artificial snow, and they have like the drummer, the drummer people, and it's really great, man. So if you ever wanted to do that, just tip. I don't know if you ever did it before, but we're not here to talk about that. Well, they don't have the music set up to verses, so that's right. If if it's not Matt Cameron out there drumming, then you know I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here keep my uh, Pearl Jam 20 kind of going on silent in the background while I get some inspiration from the boys. So part of our 20th anniversary is really, I think, focusing on the first, not just the the movie Pearl Jam 20, but kind of the first 20 years. And so I was kind of tripping a little bit because 2011 is when Pearl Jam 20 came out. So if my math is correct, we are in 2021. So that means we're now 30 years in, right? That's right. That's right. 30 years in with the boys. But we're going to kind of work and kind of focus on pretty much every album except what? Lightning Bolt and uh, Gigaton, right? That's right. That's pretty much it. Backspacer. Backspacer was. Backspacer was, I think, 2010. So I think they were still made it under the line in the first in the first 20 years. So I'm pretty sure it's just Mm. two albums, dude. Mm. I think you're wrong. 
I think you're wrong. All right. Well, while you do our edits, okay. you know, as okay. we're on the air, you can let me know. So you you've been traveling quite a bit and had a little more time to kind of get back to some Pearl Jam PJ 20 action watching it. You're like, hey, dude, I've watched this like six times in the past month. Mm-hmm. So any anything new come out of it? Anything anything really kind of stand out? Like what what's what's their first line of info you got for me? Oh, yeah. Well, so my first line. Great, great comment. So first off, I love this film. And you mentioned it in our you know Pearl Jam and Movies episode where it's kind of played as a documentary, but really it's visibly shows as a just a, a feature film, right? So Cameron Crowe does the does the movie, does the narrating, does a fantastic job. I think it, it's a mm-hmm. it gives me kind of a chills moment every time I kind of watch it, just because it does such a good way to theolog or not like kind of chronologically kind of tell the story of of of, of the band, of course, but. Not so much for me, a few of the things that I highlight, we can go in more depth on this, but one of the things I've said many times in life is that life is about relationships and experiences. Okay. And PJ20, PJ20, I think does a great job. And I just kind of realized this. it's not even a really a, a, a kind of a documentary about the band and about the music. It's about the relationships that the band has with each other or the band has with other other band members or other bands or other people it's it's really yeah. it's a it's really a relationship movie and the second piece is the outside of the relationship is the maturation that is documented very very clearly with Ed going from early kind of very scared and shy Eddie middle-aged kind of like angry and and pissed off privacy kind of guy and then later on very appreciative ed reflective ed like it's a it's really cool to see the maturation of eddie particularly in his kind of personal development of how he kind of saw not only himself but what he's what his what his artistic vision is and how he sees himself in the band too so relationships and i want to get into relationships and the maturation of eddie vetter when I watch this, I think what continues to stand out is how how much of it's almost like a bittersweet story. And really, without the passing of Andy Wood, there would be no Pearl Jam. There's just no way that it would even come about. You know, everything's like you said, relationships, memories, but also it's it's timing and a, a lot of what you'll have with bands that become successful and very famous. It's, you know, right place at the right time, putting in the work with the right people, having the right amount of support and how we, you know, we dote and we love and we put so much of our time and energy into loving this band. It's, it's crazy to think about that. It's really born of tragedy. That's right. And and it's crazy to think, you know, it's there's there's been lots of bands over the years where usually the band has begun and you've lost a lead singer or a drummer or a guitar player. But the band has found a way to kind of carry on, but to kind of spurn a whole new life from Andy's passing, it's 
nothing I would ever wish upon anybody at all. It's, you know, he sounds like just an amazing, sweet, great person and super talented. And the sky was the limit when you start talking about Eddie and his growth. God, so much seems to be born. You know, you, you sense it, you feel it, you hear it born of this angst and these trials and tribulations. And he's never seeming comfortable. Obviously, like you said, you know, he started out very shy and it was well documented. But, you know, he always has this air of just on edge a little bit, which is what makes him completely great and amazing. You know, when you see Ed kind of growing, what are some of the things that you, you know, sticks out to you? When he's at the campfire and he's playing kind of yeah. it's a little finger picking young baby Eddie, right? I this know. guy. He looks, he looks good. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna dote on Eddie a bit here because I think the, I, I really do think it's a, the movie PJ20 is a story of Pearl Jam, but it's so much Eddie centric. Of course, we know. I mean, of course, the lead singer is going to have this. The, the front man is going to have that. But it is very much a documentary of Eddie. Now, the mm-hmm. time he's sitting around this camp campfire, and he's like, yeah, "I'm the new guy. I'm the new guy for a while." And and then they kind of go into their first few shows, and he, you know, and this, they played a live, right? And it was like, "Oh, this is the second show," and it just seems so bland. Of course, this is very early on, right? And it wasn't until, of course, they've said it too, like when that Vancouver show, when they yep. opened up for Alice in Chains, this is one of my highlights of that entire movie is when this guy, this security guard kind of taking it out and he kind of just gets enraged in, in, in fury, right? Eddie just goes nuts. So cool to see that. It's so yeah. cool. Like you can see him change in yeah. an instant and that's what makes it so damn good. Like mm-hmm. you can... That the song Breath or the song Alive is probably pretty bland if you have a non angsty, angry guy singing it. But the second he turns pissed off, interesting, yes, holy shit, it becomes mm-hmm. it like it is a different song, man. And that's a that's a big part of that whole movie. And this again, the maturation of him becoming confident in himself, and then a little bit of that was with the whole relationship with Chris Cornell, too. Yeah. You know, so when this movie came out, it was it was a to me, it was a big deal. Right. And so I made sure, of course, I had to get tickets for opening night, went downtown, did the IMAX deal. It was it was awesome. And just I have to say, just thank you to my wife for over the years for allowing me to just I know she has a good time when we go out and we hit the shows and stuff like that. But to have a band that you, you know, take someone to 15, 20 times and then now to movies and like and just kind of the document all this stuff, you know, graciously, you know, she came and it was fun for her too. You know, she was really in, into it. It was really kind of a special night to watch this movie in a Seattle theater on opening night, part of me was hoping like, Oh God, what if like someone shows up? That would be so cool. It's the premiere. I never really did see anybody from the band that was actually there, but having that Cameron Crow influence was huge and critical to, to the success of this movie. 
because I think if anybody else were to try to do what he did, it would be a job well done. But you have someone that's, you know, was married to one of the Wilson sisters for a long time, lived in Seattle. I love like a lot of the Cam and Crow musical movies. So almost famous. I love that movie. It's so great. Um, and so I love even say anything, which is great. You know, you have this young John Cusack. One of his key moments is holding up this boom box outside of the girl's window, playing a little Peter Gabriel action, you know, trying to get her to kind of come out and be part of this love fest. He's trying to unfurl upon him. And just his use of music early on in his movies to tell stories. I mean, he was just like the perfect person to do this. And like, thank God he was there to do it because the footage they had was so great when, the, you know, even right now I'm watching, you know, they're comparing, you know, you got, you know, Mike McCready on one side, you got, you got the who on the other side, you got Eddie up there, you got Jimi Hendrix and just like all these inspiration that they take from all these different bands. So with the growth in the first 20 years, you know, we've talked a lot about how music in the beginning, it started, you know, we have this idea of Pearl Jam and why we fell in love with them in the first place. Then as they started to kind of branch out, you know, I've said many times, I'm like, God, I don't know about this. I don't know. This, this is kind of weird and foreign to me. But with so much like of a wide breadth of inspiration that these guys take from, it's really cool to see their music change over the years. Even I'm sure for hardcore 10 fans like you, I'm, I'm you know, it takes you a while. But, you know, you get into it after a little bit. We talk about some of the, 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 the maturation process, right? And some of the growth. And another one of the mentions was the Temple of the Dog kind of piece, right? So you talked about Andy, mm-hmm. you know, his, the tragic passing of Andy Wood, you know, anytime something like happens, you know, Stone, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting too. Like Stone was like, Hey, you know, I, I'm pretty sad about this, but I was never going to give up my guitar. But then right. like Mike, like Mike, he'd tell his story like, Hey, you know, I went down and doing this thing in LA kind of. I wanted to give it up or done or Jeff was like, Hey, you know, if I didn't have such a shitty relationship with my dad, I would have moved back to Montana, but stone was always there. And like, let's just keep cruising. And, and then again, just relationships around Seattle too. Like the fact that stone was so connected with Matt Cameron, the fact that stone was so connected with a guy like Mike McCready and still obviously mm-hmm. still with Jeff, like it was so easy to be like, yeah, yeah. What do you want to do? Like, I'll put this thing together. Like, and again, like the, the, we talked about the mama song thing, like the fact that I keep loving that part too, when he's like, sends it down to Ed, he's on a surfboard and, and then he sends it back. He's like, got this thing back. And then Mike McCready says, I've listened to it. He's like, is this a real person? Right. <laughs> is this a real guy in here? Like, this is fucking amazing. Like, like all these different things are so damn cool. Like on how this whole thing started. The, again, the chronologically, but it's such an amazing thing how things just tend to happen. Like, yeah, it was almost destiny for this to happen. Yeah, it's cool. And I, you know, I always think about, you know, gosh, okay, these guys are 30 years in. What's it going to sound like at 35, 40, 45, 50? Obviously, ride it to the wheels fall off, boys. You know, like as long as you can possibly go, 
we'll take anything and everything you can give us. And yeah, you know, the fire is still there and I don't really ever think it's going to go away, especially with just so much creativity that all the band members have. I mean, it's just, you know, they set the bar really high for themselves. Like you said, especially with that temple of the dog record with 10 versus everything in that first couple three four years was just unheard of and so their staying power it's it's not gonna go anywhere so i'm i'm excited to see what the next 20 years brings and hopefully get as many more shows as we possibly can i had a note here i wanted to ask you about the relationship with ed and kurt now they highlight a little bit about kind of Kurt Cobain being kind of this like makeshift rivalry between he and Ed or Nirvana and Pearl Jam. But mm-hmm. you but you obviously were much closer to the scene than I was. I don't know if we've really talked about this in the podcast. So like did you ever experience or kind of hear any of this or kind of was it just kind of media driven type kind of It's it seemed the latter to me for sure because I don't I, you know, I would imagine a lot of it has to be kind of like fabricated. I think the deal is you've got two individuals who really have a specific idea of how they would like their band to be. But there, you know, you have to give up so much control to the animal that is <laughs> superstardom and or making great music where you're going to attract people to naturally follow your music, love your music. So, you know, obviously, Kurt, it's been documented time and time again, very much a tormented person, a lot of struggles in his life. He took it to a level where if he's not in control, then it's time to check out. Eddie talks a lot about how he would envision his band to be and the morals for what they stand for. Ticket prices going against Ticketmaster. Dude, I tried to I got tickets when they did this whole phone thing. It was a total pain in the ass. Lucky that we got to go, but I you know, at that time they were in this step of like growing pains where it's like they're trying to put on these shows without all these different promoters and they were not successful when they were trying to make that happen. You also have Eddie talking a lot about letting the music speak for itself. He talks about Pink Floyd sometimes kind of this faceless band where the music just speaks for itself. And, you know, you see Eddie on stage in masks, not wanting to be noticed, not wanting to be seen, not wanting to be the face, just wanting to be part of the whole experience. And so it's, it's gotta be a crazy, crazy ride that these guys are on where they have a passion to do something that they absolutely love, but yet are not in full control of what is happening. Right. Yeah. And so that leads a perfect segue into kind of the maturation segment that we talked about briefly. So like you said, early on, Ed was jumping off rafters and, and just going completely raw and energetic and shit. And one of the ones I wanted to bring up was the singles, uh, the singles thing, the singles event, which was hilarious. I love that that part when Cameron Crowe's like, "Hey Ed, we got this footage of the singles 
executive party. Uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, where they're just and, hammer time. Yeah, yeah, he said he's like, I won't watch that. And I just love that. I yeah. love that human uh, humanality of him. Like, yeah, I, I know I'm who I am. I know what happened. I won't watch that. Like, that's just too embarrassing. But anyway, yeah. so, but him going from early and kind of like super excited and just you know, just passion rawness, and then mm-hmm. like you said, hitting into like this Ticketmaster where I'm gonna kind of. I don't like this. I don't like the fame. I don't like any of this. I have this huge like insecurities with being recognized and I'm just a human being, right? You don't need to come up to me and think I'm different than you. And, and then, I mean, when did that change? Like when, when, how did that happen? Like when did that happen between from him, this, this kind of vulnerable and like, I want to just do this to now I'm like, I don't want it anymore. Like how does what what's the turning point? What's the turning point here? Hard hard to say. I mean, I can only imagine that going on a rocket ship, going a hundred million miles an hour with their trajectory as far as like how famous they got and how quick they went up, that you know, you're gonna be in a lot of uncomfortable positions all the time. So it's either you you fight to work through all that or it just eats you up. And I'm, I think they saw enough death and sorrow and craziness to come out better on the other side and not let it totally just take control over them. Right. So again, I, I don't, I've never seen a band that's been more involved with charities, philanthropy, doing things for other people, and using their platform to actually try to make a difference about something while at the same time swinging from the rafters like a crazy man where you can just totally crash and burn at any time. I've never seen anybody climb a stage like Ed ever. It doesn't happen. Nobody does that, right? And so it's it's really cool to go back and see a lot of the early the early PJ in the first 20 years because you can't you can't forget about you, you can't appreciate where you're at if you don't realize where you've come from right mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i think that you know as time goes on these guys are in a great place it's all about the music for them they're obviously rich they obviously don't need any more money so they're just going to do what they do for themselves and hopefully for the fans as well too. So. Well, I think, and that's I think that's 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 the where we're at today, right? So at the very end here, we see an Eddie Vedder that has changed kind of the mentality of I don't want this to now. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to mm-hmm. kind of I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to turn it into something positive, right? And I'm going to start reflecting on what Jeff Hament has done for him and the relationship he had with Jeff or whatever, all these different things were with Pete Townsend or all any of these guys. And it just, you can see the, like he's almost tearing up just in conversations about his past and how he got there, the very early stages of the relationship with the band and others. It's just, it's really kind of really transcendent to see him take these steps from a maturity level. And it's quite unique. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really gone back to watch the Pearl Jam 20 and, and a little bit. So 
it was uh, kind of a breath of fresh air to see the boys being super young. But I also can't forget about the awesome PJ 20 show that they put on at Alpine Valley where they had this huge celebration out there. And it was kind of, um, again, this creative environment that that sparked this rebirth for the reconnection with Chris and the temple of the dog and playing some of that music subsequently going out and, and doing a tour, even though it was only like eight or 10 shows that was for me amazing to see that. Cause I did get a chance to go see a temple of the dog show, which I never would have thought would have happened. And you have this music that is not set for radio. Like, you know, like Chris is saying with Reach Down, I'm right. going to make a 10 minute song that's all guitar solo and fuck you. I'm going to make it be the first song on the record or whatever. And we're going to do this and we're going to make it happen. And I think, you know, with Ed maturing and having to grow up, it is a little bit of this lost innocence that a lot of folks go through where when they were doing Temple of the Dog, dude, they could just make music and it's just like a full on jam session the whole time and no expectations. And I think if you can continue to tap into that every time you create and you're really doing it for the music and for the creativity, we're going to benefit all the while, you know? So, so it is pretty cool. I mean, I, (laughs) are they going to do a Pearl Jam 30? Are they going to do a Pearl Jam 40? You know, there's, there's a lot to be said for the first 20 years. Certainly ton of ton of stuff happened that created what the band is today. But I wonder what the Pearl Jam 40 like movie is going to actually going to look like. I, I have no idea how they're going to tell that story. Here, here's a question for you. So in the first 20 years, obviously Pearl Jam is at its height of mm-hmm. of of rock kingdom in the early 90s right but you also have big other bands there too like we let's not forget nirvana was probably if not bigger just as big yeah. as pearl jam during that time Soundgarden, Certainly. all, all yep. these guys right i almost have to think i'm i could be crazy in saying this but the last 10 years pearl jam has somehow become more popular than the first 20 years. The fact that they are still out there today, you're not getting a lot of rock music, fresh rock music right now. They're still putting out good music. Their music that they put out 20 years, 30 years ago still is good. People Mm -hmm. still love hearing this. And you will still hear 10 on any rock station in the world right now. Like they they could be more popular today than they were in 1993. I don't know. That's a, that's an amazing kind of concept and idea because I think there's there's there is this top of the mountain for me, you know, as far as you know, the look of Pearl Jam and the sound of Pearl Jam and where they were at certain parts of their career. When when they did these local shows out, think about at, it, dude. Think about the global, dude. Think about how global yeah. they are now. Like, oh, they, they're massive. Obviously. They're massive. This is what I'm saying. Like, they reach everybody. 
Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, no, no, no. I mean, and that's that's probably going to be a huge part of it because in the beginning, you know, the, obviously they're very anti-media, right? Right, right. They don't want to be on your, as they say, your grandmother's magazine. They don't want to be on Time magazine, right? They don't want to have this perception of just churning in this money-making juggernaut that is you know, studio music. So I think that when I continue to go and see the shows, every seat is full. Mm -hmm. It's sold out. It's packed. These guys could go play down where the Seahawks play right now. And they could, I bet you they would sell that place out, dude. I bet you, you know, I know that they could do it. They might have to have a really strong opening band with them, you know, but they could easily, you know, if they're like, hey, we got a show in like two weeks uh, downtown and we got to sell 60,000 seats, dude, I think I think that they can do it. I think people would come to see that. And so it always comes back to the music, how it makes people feel, how it makes people react. and you know, what was kind of fun with the last episode that we did was, you know, what happens when (laughs) nobody shows up, you know, and then it's like, what do you do? So, but the show must go on. And so we actually had some good, um, we had some feedback from one of our uh, favorite listeners that uh, said, Hey man, where is uh, Getty Lee on the base? And I was like, you know what? My bad. I probably should have had uh, some of them angry Canadian rockers up there at the very top of my list. So uh, much love to the shout out. Um, Rush Rush is one of those bands for me, dude. You know, I, I, I've gone back and forth. When I first heard Rush, I had no clue what I was hearing or what I was listening to. And it was just this, it was it was cool and it was different. But it wasn't necessarily my my jam at the time. Now, years later, when you go back and you look at the musicality of it, what do they say? Yeah, Getty Lee, bass, best bass player ever, right? You know, so yeah. So the, I, I actually correspond with the listener, and I had asked him if <laughs> <laughs> if Getty Lee was supposed to be his bass guitarist or his frontman, and he said bass guitarist. So. Fair enough. Even though Getty Lee's a front man too. So yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Hey man, uh, three people putting out that much, that much, uh, that much hardcore music. It's, uh, it's not, it's not easy to do, you know, with the three piece for sure. Yeah. All right. So I want to bring something back to you with the PJ 20 stuff. Cause I've got a whole bunch of notes here. So pardon me. Go the, I picked up on this. There's not one interview that includes the entire band together. Now, I don't know if that's in on the purpose. movie, you know, in the movie. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if there's any reason for this. I don't know if, if, if Cameron's like, I want to get these guys away from each other. But I noticed that as I've mentioned, this whole thing, I'm picking up on relationships, Edward stone, Ed and Pete Townsend or Stone with Mike, so blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. There's never anything 
one group. This is not a Pearl Jam interview. Never once a Pearl Jam interview. Directly Pearl Jam interview. All of it. Yeah, I'm sure it's calculated like divide and conquer because, be, you know, if you're with your friends, obviously you're going to behave and talk a certain way. But if you get people one on one, odds are that the truth will start to come out, especially if you get people in their element and you don't have to worry about what's this person going to think that's sitting right next to me. Interesting observation. Um because, yeah, a lot of the times you only ever see the band together is when they're doing like pr- promo shoots. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. And one more for you. One of my favorite things, and I picked up on this, was I keep going back to Eddie and, and, and The Who. Right. So this huge admiration for The Who and Pete Townsend specifically. Right. And there's this piece in here when it's like this little kind of like snippets of Eddie kind of talking with Pete Townsend. And there's just one part where he goes up there and hugs Pete. I don't know if you've seen this recently, but, and he looks up at him. He looks the look. If you please go back and try to look at this, the Mm -hmm. way, the way that Eddie looks at Pete Townsend. Now, of course, Pete's taller man. So he's looking up at him, Mm -hmm. but it almost looks like he's looking at, someone of a father figure father acceptance like sure. did i did i do good pete like that's right. the, I, that's the look i see in his eyes now again i'm not a film critic or any of this but i thought it was like man i could see his admiration for pete townsend i said like, all he wants to do is impress pete townsend like did i do okay like right I, look at it check it out man it's, Dude, how crazy is it to be in a band in your 20s, say early 30s, and you've not only do you have these people to look up to, but they're willing to step in and kind of guide you the way who what other band can you say where you've got Pete Townsend and Neil Young and Bruce Springsteen and bono and fucking i don't even know who else chris cornell right and the list goes on and on to just like be around these people and help get them through tough times and help their development and their growth and their musicality this is again something else that seems very out of the ordinary to me especially from a mentorship standpoint There's going to be a lot of, you know, you get famous, you're in a band and you meet up with people and you jam and you hang out. But really, folks that seem to really take the time to care. And a big part of that is Ed, right? This poet, this artist, this musician, songwriter, someone that really, as you've always said, is very calculated with how he carries on his dialogue and how he connects with these folks, Tom Petty. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a crazy life to not only have the people you've looked up to, and now these people are helping you. I mean, how rare, rare is that? You know, the, the humility that Eddie Mm -hmm. is, is, is presenting in this kind of segment of that, of PJ 20, when, He's again, he's talking about how he's idolized the who and you know, he's talking with Pete Townsend and Pete's like the first words he says is like, I've waited so long to meet you. Yeah. And Eddie's like, are you kidding? In his head, like he looks up like, 
are you kidding me? I've waited my entire life to talk to you. Yeah. And you were waiting to talk to me. Like, yeah. the, like he, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, he at that, even at that point still doesn't think that he's as worthy. good as he is or right. worthy. Yeah. That's yeah. it, man. It's total Wayne's world, dude. It's like, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Even though he has surpassed Pete Townsend and who in popularity or in all these different things, in mm. the world's view, mm-hmm. in his own view, he says, "Nope, we're we're still gonna play of small course. small clubs." He's like, "It's fucking crazy, man." Yeah, yeah, totally awesome, dude. Yeah, I bet if the Who and Pearl Jam played in two weeks downtown Seattle, forget about it, dude. You ain't getting tickets. To that sixty thousand is gonna go like that. I mean, it's like that's why we had such a hard time. If someone else had to step in and actually take the lead and sing these songs you know if pj can't make it to the show really you're gonna actually try and get someone that can come in and do what ed does i mean good luck bro because it ain't gonna happen yeah tell me about the uh, so you're a big soundgarden fan right so i do the fact that chris was so like mentorship like you mentioned mentorship a lot and that was that came through quite a bit early on like how Chris kind of took Ed under the wings. Like, t- did you like pick? Is there anything that you can glean on the relationship between Soundgarden and Pearl Jam? When I first started, I think I definitely was into Pearl Jam before Soundgarden. I think Soundgarden for me came a little bit later once they started getting more airplay, because obviously, you know, Soundgarden had some stuff out before PJ came around. And, you know, local to the scene, Chris Cornell was kind of already. He was like the entr- dude, entrenching right? himself. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just like, obviously, he's going to stand out super tall, good looking dude, long black hair that can just wail like crazy. Right. And so what was a little bittersweet is kind of, you know, going back and watching a little PJ 20 and, and watching Chris talk about experience with Andy his relationship with the band going to that temple of the dog show and hearing him and watching him live kind of reiterate these same sentiments. It's crazy to me that he's gone. And mm-hmm. yeah, it is. Dude, that, I almost forget that. I almost forget that he's not here anymore, dude. And yeah, for someone that really on the surface, obviously if you don't know people, you know, it seems to pretty much have their shit together right and and seems like they're on a good track but how many how do you get out of (laughs) you want to be around all these people that are inspire you and are so creative and are so adept at what they do but there's always just this underlying dark side even with eddie i mean it's it's there and how do you keep that shit in check and how do you overcome all these people that have passed? I mean, I can't imagine like, like we've always said, we don't know these people, right? We don't know Ed, but after watching Chris go and Tom Petty go so many folks that he has been close to over the years, even with Lane, even with Kurt, just being in the same scene. Mm hmm. And just seeing just all of this just terrible outcomes. 
wow. I mean, really, it could go down the tubes really quick. But hey, you know, thank God his support system is there. He's got Jill. He's got the family. He's got people around him that love him, you know, that are keeping him moving. I mean, it, it definitely takes a village to to run a superstar show. And so I just pray that I pray, pray, pray. I don't even want to put it out in the universe. Just please keep going for us, dude. Just keep, try and keep on the straight and narrow for us. You know what I mean? So music aside, like he's a father, he's a husband. Yes. Like yes. At, at bare minimum, like if he's done with this, like be done with it. I'm, I'm fine with yeah. that. Like honestly, right, right, right. and you've hit on that where, I watch PJ 20 and I look at Chris Cornell and I see him talking about Andy and I see him talking about Kurt and all these different things. It's like, Mm -hmm. I almost for a brief minute, like you said, forget that he's not here. He looks like he's completely fine. Yep. No mental illness or no depression. I don't know. And again, I don't know any of the root causes here, but yeah. Yeah. It's just a weird deal, man, because life is fragile and mm-hmm. we don't know what's going through these guys' heads. I mean, yeah. I can, here's what I can say. I don't know this for, I don't know this anything, but consider, consider this phenomenon, right? You know, mm-hmm. put yourself as a 24 year old lead singer. Right. And, and you <laughs> check, check this dude. And I'm going to play this scenario for you. And you are now the lead singer of the most famous rock band in the world. Oh yeah, you are, <laughs> and you are selling, and you are selling out shows, and people are singing your lyrics. Do you imagine? Because like Chester Bennington, right, the guy from Lincoln Park, yeah. Right? Shortly after Chris, he's out of here too, man. Mm-hmm. And and you think like, all of a sudden, that doesn't get you jacked up. Like your nerve endings have been so eroded over just right. like overstimulation. Yeah. All, all of a sudden selling out Madison Square Garden and hearing your songs fed back to you by the crowd means nothing to you. Wow. Mm. Mm. At that point, what is worth life? What is worth it? Like if that doesn't get you excited, nothing will. You might as well be dead. Yeah. Well, you know, from what I can gather i'm sure their dialogue is very open in the band being that the the members of pearl jam i'm sure it's been discussed ad nauseum anytime something comes up right you know they're like brothers right and so they're gonna love each other they're gonna fight they're gonna talk about things they're gonna hash stuff out all i know is that if we can just soak in the awesomeness as far as as much as Pearl Jam can and will ever give us. I think we have a lot to glean and a lot to learn from the music and especially the lyrics, because obviously they're they were heavy in the beginning. They're getting way more heavier as time goes on based on all of the experiences that we're alluding to and talking about. So I hope that you know, they still continue to find a way to get their message across, but have it not be so (laughs) dire and sullen and sad because I still want to rock. I still want to go have a good time. But 
as time goes on, it's going to catch up and there's going to be even more tragedy, unfortunately, coming down the road. Now, we don't want to bum people out. However, the reality of the situation is these guys are even just struggling to get back on stage as a group right now. And with all these delays, and it's totally not their fault. When the opportunity comes to, to go see them, better get up and you better get to the show. If you got to drive 500 miles, you better get there. Because as you say, you don't know when it's going to be kind of the last the last time. But, uh, you know, I will say when I'm watching Pearl Jam 20 and uh, I'm seeing Ed hit his notes, you know, hit every note hit every song. Uh, I, there is something about that I definitely do miss because, you know, you hit the shows now and he'll let the audience kind of take over on some of the high parts, which is fine. I'm not upset with it, but it is kind of fun to look back and, you know, watch the boys at 26 just totally tear it up, dude, you know? Here it is. It's it's pure nostalgia. It's mm-hmm. pure, like, watching home videos from 20 years ago. Like, oh, uh, yeah. I remember when I had my hair like that, I looked like an idiot, but it was, you like, had hair. I, really? I did at one time. No way, dude. Yeah. I gotta see that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's a great pat- blast from the past. Like you said, there's footage in there. That's, that's, I've never seen before the relationship between Jeff and, and yeah. stone or, or, or Ed and stone on power, these type of things, like all these things come out and it's just such a fun little kind of melting pot of like I said relationship building and and then relationship challenging and it's just such a beautiful compodium of 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 historical kind of data and it's just an awesome little play thing how cool is it to know that they're not doing it for glamour and glory and uh to be noticed right I mean they're not doing it for what the very cliche way of where like a lot of people want to get into a band, want to get in a band. I want to rock. I want to meet girls. I want to party. I want to live the rock and roll lifestyle. These guys really do support each other and it's never for publicity. Right. So I, I do remember when I went to this music cares show, and it was to celebrate Mike McCready's like 25 years of sobriety, something like that. And just like the superstar turnout of like who came out and was on stage was great. But I that's where I got um, Matt Cameron's autograph and I got Jeff Amen's autograph. And they were just they, they weren't even playing, but they were totally there to support just being part of the crowd, being in it. And and that's what's cool. It's like they're not obligated to be there like you need to be there because this is your bandmate and, you know, money, money, money and be in the media and all this stuff. I mean, it is really cool that you are starting to see this kind of next wave of evolution of artists really truly supporting each other, talking very candidly about what drives them, the difficulties they have the crazy stuff they've seen. And I think if we can just take all the best parts of all of that, then, you know, we're going to end up being in a pretty damn good place. So I, I still looking forward to seeing some gigaton music being played live. I, you know, still obviously have not 
seen that live and in person. They've been doing a little bit of that on their 30th anniversary, <laughs> right? You know, this past year, they've done a couple little mini shows and things like that. But we're still in. Listen, listen, we're still riding the wave. The wave has yeah. still got plenty of power. Mm-hmm. And, and the one thing I keep, and I'll maybe we wrap up after this, but, you know, Ed's still got desire to do this from what it seems like. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the funny thing, you know, Stone's such a kind of enigmatic kind of guy, like, doesn't have anything, right? Doesn't have any kind of memorabilia. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but. I truly think, like you said, I, I truly think they just like each other. Mm-hmm. They just like being around each other. Yeah. And you can be around your brothers, be around your friends, and still kind of give people hope. And especially, yeah. especially in 2020, 2021, and in 2022, the decade of COVID, like they're going to have to keep cruising, man. There's no way they can shut it down now. It, it'd, yeah, be a, it'd, no. be a, it'd be a very uneventful closing to their shows absolutely no i mean keep it going um i do want to give one more shout out to our superstar listener that gave me an amazing set list to go over because i did put that together and i did crank that for a good three hours seven minutes i think is what i did uh it gave me such a happy feeling in my pants that i was just like i need another set list now so um send me something else uh because the first one was amazing and it's like i don't even know this person but a lot of the highlight songs were all the stuff that i would need to hear to make my day go well need to hear at an actual concert and what's cool is there was a lot of deep cuts on that one as well too so uh for anybody out there you guys have a love boat con- uh, captain connection, it seems. LBC, bro. Yeah. <laughs> if I was ever going to get a tattoo on my left arm to not really match yours, it would be a little LBC with a lightning bolt through it, dude. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so, so funny. Good. That's so, that's good. so rad. <laughs> yeah, no, and listen, just a, a quick like thank you to you, you know, for setting this up. It's mm. been 20 episodes of, of, of enjoyment. and Wow, yeah, that's crazy. And, and, and honestly, 20 episodes of... Again, we've had time in the past to know each other, and we've been able to reconvene over this. And yeah, what a time capsule! What a time yeah. capsule! Super great, and listeners. Thank you so much. Keep keep cruising along here. We're mm-hmm. gonna. This is this is gonna wrap up season two, right? So yeah. So we'll yeah. keep going. Into I think. New year. I think we're gonna cruise into the new year. Probably won't hear us until twenty twenty two. Well, that's gonna be in a hot minute. Well. Uh... Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, stay safe, and uh, much love to all of our PJ listeners around the world. We uh, we appreciate your time and energy for sure.